Well, we're going to continue in our remedy series this morning. I want to start by <clears throat> talking a little bit about Christmas songs. Uh, and um, there was, hopefully you like Christmas songs. I, we, we, not everybody does. We actually, I knew a person once that totally disliked Christmas songs. So uh, hopefully that's not you and you like Christmas songs. And I was reading a story this week about a, a child who was listening to Christmas songs and drew a picture in church about some of the Christmas songs and the Christmas story that she had heard and listened to. And her teacher said, it's perhaps the most unique Christmas picture she'd ever seen. And so the daughter brought the picture home to her mom and said, Mom, the teacher said this was the most unique picture she had ever seen for Christmas. And she said, well, let me see it, honey. And she looked at it and turned it upside down and turned it upside down. And and she said, well, honey, it looks like everybody in this picture is on an airplane. And she said, yeah, that's the flight to Egypt. And the mom said, okay. Well, I got a couple more questions then. That makes sense. It's the flight to Egypt. Um, Who's the person up front? I mean, I see Mary and Joseph and and there's the baby and, and, and wise men and shepherds. And there's a couple people. Who's this person up front? And she says, well, that's Pontius the pilot. Flying the plane. Makes perfect sense. They said, okay, Pontius the Pilate, but who is the big guy sitting beside Pontius the Pilate? And she said, Mom, don't you know the song? That's Round John Virgin. (laughs) Our kids don't always get the messages and the songs that we'd like them to get, but they get something. I love Christmas songs. Uh, Perhaps my favorite Christmas song uh, that we sing is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It's one of my favorite. I, I don't know what it is about that song. It's something about the words and the theology and the music that just seems to go perfectly with the message that's being communicated. O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and Ransom Captive Israel. I mean, the theology that's in that song is rich. And I love that this time of year, that radio stations that are normally only playing secular music, that at this time of year, over our airwaves, we hear words like, O come, O come, Emmanuel, over these radio stations. I love O come, all ye faithful, joy to the world. This morning we sang the first Noel. I love all those songs. They're rich in theology, and they draw me in to not only the the music and uh, and the, the, the arrangement, but also the words and the theology and the content. And so it's a blessing. But I I can also say I don't mind some of the other songs that are a little more fun and less theological. Uh, I can get into, I got my Bing Crosby CD and chestnuts roasting on an open fire. I will play more than a couple times in my home. Uh, I can, dashing through the snow and jingle bells and all of that will play as well. Uh, The traditional sedimental I don't know what it is uh, within me. I got a little Hallmark Channel, I guess, spot in my heart that, uh, that kind of enjoys some of those songs. Maybe you do too. At least once during Christmas, Wendy knows uh, Alabama's Tennessee Christmas will get thrown in because I was raised on country music and that's, that's just a fault that I have. Don't hold it against me. Um, then there's one particular song that I'll always listen to at Christmas that's one of my favorite Christmas songs that might surprise you that it's, it's one of my favorite Christmas songs. One of your pastor's favorite Christmas songs has really very little theology, at least no overt theology to it. 
It's not one that kids sing in their Christmas plays usually, but it's a song by a band called the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. How many are familiar with Trans-Siberian Orchestra, right? Um, pretty amazing arrangement, music. I went to see them in concert a couple years ago. I mean, the lights, the lasers, the music is, is pretty unbelievable. And they sing a song uh, that's called The Old City Bar. How many have heard The Old City Bar? A few, not, not too many. Okay, let me explain it to you then. It's as much a poem as it is a song. And uh, so let me read it to you how it starts out. And perhaps you've heard it and, and uh, this will remind you. Uh, but it starts out like this. In an old city bar that's never too far from the places that gather the dreams that have been. In the safety of night with its old neon light, it beckons to strangers and they always come in. And the snow it was falling, the neon was calling, the music was low, and the night Christmas Eve. And it goes on to explain this Christmas Eve night in this one particular old city bar. There's something that draws me to this song. It has to do with the story that goes along with it. It has to do with the reminder of what Christmas and Christmas Eve may be like for other people. For someone uh, in a situation who may not be sitting in a church on Sunday morning and will not be sitting in a church on Tuesday evening at Christmas Eve for one reason or another. Maybe they've never felt welcome. Maybe they don't feel they belong. There are people among us in our world that they won't go to a church on Christmas Eve. They're just looking for some place to be. They're not going to be with a lot of people, family, and friends, but they're looking for a place to be where they can feel accepted and it's open and a place when everyone else has some place to go and they have no place to go, where do they go? And in this song, they stumble into an old city bar. It's one of the only places open, right? Even on Christmas Eve, even the gas stations are closed. Every place is closed, but some of the bars are open. And for people to stumble in, for those that have no place else to go, Many times that's where they end up. And so there's this story of this old city bar on Christmas Eve and the people that are gathered there. People that may not have a place to go, vagabonds and outskirts of society and they don't want to talk and they're not interested in talking, they just want to be there. And the song goes that a child comes in and the child says that outside in the snow there's a girl who's trying to get home for Christmas but can't get home. And the song says that the bartender turns to the child and says, not that I care, but how do you know? And the boy says, uh, because I know that if someone could get home for Christmas, they'd be already there. And so the bartender comes out from behind the bar and the song says that he did something that he thought no one saw. He emptied the cash from the register drawer and walked out into the cold. And they talked to this girl, and they heard him call a cab and say JFK and put the cash in her hand, and he turned around, and the cash was all gone. And later in the song, as it says that he walked back in, it says, so he walked back inside, somehow different, I think. For the rest of the night, no one paid for a drink. And the cynics will say that some neighborhood kid wandered in on some bums in the world where they hid, But they weren't there, so they couldn't see by an old neon star on that night, Christmas Eve. 
When the snow was falling, the neon was calling, and in case you should wonder, in case you should care, why we're all, why we're on our own, never went home. On that night of all nights, we were already there. And this story, I don't know why it catches my attention. I think there's something in it of grace. There's something in it of compassion. There's something in it that says in the place where you find hard hearts, difficult stories, lives that have been trodden by life, and yet in that place, even there, somehow grace can enter in. Somehow light can shine in the midst of darkness. And there's something that draws me to that, that common grace. And so I think about these two types of songs that I enjoy. I love these rich theological songs. I love singing about, O come all ye faithful. I love singing about, as far as the curse is found. And in flesh, the Godhead veil that we see, Godhead see. I love singing about that. And I love listening to a song like the Old City Bar about grace. And I sometimes wonder why there's not more of a crossover. Why don't we have more great Christian Christmas songs just about grace coming in on people's lives? I have a hard time thinking of one. I mean, they focus on Jesus and the incarnation, and we ought to, but can they do both? Can we also talk about the the grace that comes into this world through Christ and the change that it should make? in the world that we live in. I want to talk to you this morning for a few minutes about a message I've called, And is Better. And is better than or. Uh, Some of you have seen the Ford commercials, right? And is better. And nuts and bolts, sweet and sour chicken, and is better. I think they're on to something. And is better. We live in our world that tries to force us into or. Either or. You've got to pick either or. But I think when it comes to Jesus, he would say that and is better. And I want to talk about two particular times when Jesus was trying, when, when, when people were trying to force Jesus into a place of either or. Two particular times in Jesus' life where they were trying to force him into a place of either or. You got to be one or the other. You can't be both. And both times where Jesus said no, he didn't say it this way, but essentially what he gives us is the answer and is better. And is the right answer. Two particular times when uh, religious leaders who were trying to accuse Jesus and trap him were trying to get him to choose either or but he wouldn't do it. The first time is found in John chapter 8. John chapter 8, it's a moment in Jesus' life when he was teaching and and some of the religious leaders were trying to catch him up and trap him. And so this is what happened. John chapter 8, it says this, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, This woman was caught in the very act of adultery. In the law of Moses, commanded us to stone her, such a woman. Now what do you say? 
they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So that they were using this question as a trap. They, they knew that Jesus was going to have to answer one way or the other. And they wanted him to choose one or the other. Either he's going to say, well, let her go. He, give her grace. Let her go. You know, we can't stone her. And if he did, he'd be in violation of the law and they would invalidate his teaching as a leader. Or he would say, the law says stoner, stoner. And he would, in that way, be in trouble on two counts. One, no one could sentence someone to capital punishment except Rome, so he'd be in trouble with the government. And all these people who have been following him because he'd been a healer and compassionate and loving would see him for something else. And so they wanted to, either way he chose, they said, we've got him. We've got him trapped. No matter what he chooses, either one he chooses, we've got him. But Jesus didn't choose either or. He chose and. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. They were trying to get him to choose either or. So what does Jesus do? He bent down and he wrote in the sand. I don't know what he wrote. No one knows what he wrote. Scholars have been trying for years to figure out what might Jesus have wrote in the sand. The best explanation I heard was from a pastor that I had in college, and, and I'm sure he wasn't the first to come up with it, but his, his thought was this, that perhaps Jesus was just writing down in the sand different sins that may have applied to these men holding stones. Maybe Jesus wrote gossip. Maybe Jesus wrote gluttony. Maybe he wrote unforgiveness. Maybe he wrote injustice. Maybe he wrote exploitation of the poor. Whatever he wrote, he then straightened up and he said, whoever's without the sin, whoever's without sin, let him cast the first stone. And then went back down. They dropped their stones. They walked away. And then Jesus is left with this woman. He's left with this woman standing there beside him and he said, has no one condemned you? And she says, no one. And then here's where we have the and is better because what Jesus gives this woman in this moment is grace and truth. He was not going to be put in the corner to choose one or the other. John chapter one, verse 14 says this, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Both. Grace and truth. The religious leaders wanted Jesus to fall on one side or the other. Either give her grace and let her go and we've got him because he's violating the law. Or give her truth and stoner and we've got him. And they wanted to trap him, but Jesus wouldn't get stuck there. 
He said, woman, neither do I condemn you. Grace upon grace. Just in that, in that moment, receive the grace of God upon you that you are not condemned. Jesus, John chapter, one, John chapter 3, verse 17, Jesus has not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Receive that grace. Receive that forgiveness. Receive that blessing. Let it just wash over you but then the next line he says go and sin no more truth truth the truth is you've been a sinner the truth is you haven't been living the way God wants you to live the truth is this is not in your best interest in God's best interest this is not the way to live the truth is you have violated your vows the man you are with has violated his vows it's not good for your family your society or anything the truth is you have sinned but go and sin no more, neither do I condemn you. Grace and truth, and and is better. You and I at times will feel like we're pushed in one direction or the other. And actually, I'd ask you during these few minutes we have together to take a moment to just kind of examine your heart and ask what side do you sometimes swing towards? Because I believe that Jesus walked grace and truth perfectly, but we don't usually do that. Usually we swing either heavy on the grace side or heavy on the truth side. But Jesus has called us to live with grace and truth. You swing heavy on the grace side, and in one sense you say, what could possibly be wrong with that? Especially if you are one that, you know, swings heavy on the grace side. Grace is the answer. Grace is God's gift. We are saved by grace through faith. You can never have enough grace, and I am with you. I am for you. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. But if grace comes at the expense of truth, then maybe it's not actually grace that you're offering. See, sometimes what happens is we get heavy on this grace side and grace starts to become synonymous with nice. And so we think we've got to be nice. And then nice becomes synonymous with not offending and not confronting. And then not confronting goes into not speaking. And then not speaking sometimes goes into condoning. And then condoning can move into just promoting something that's untruthful. It doesn't always go that way. But if you swing to the grace side without truth, that that's the danger. And so Jesus came in grace and truth. But maybe you're one that you say, you might swing heavy on the truth side. You might swing heavy on the truth side. And if, and if this is you, you're feeling as often, look, the truth just needs to get out there and the truth is what's important. And grace to you sometimes is just, you know, just a nice way of saying something. It's like frosting on the cookie. It's, you know, the frosting's nice, but the cookie's what's important. So it's not that important. You know, you could be gracious and kind, but truth is what matters. And if you get truth out there, people are gonna get hurt, but it's okay because you got truth out there with the danger of being all truth and no grace is that you lose the love that Jesus brought. The Pharisees were all truth and not grace. That, that's what they were. They were all truth and not grace. And the danger is that you leave destruction in your wake as you throw the truth bombs out there. So Jesus came in grace and truth, not one side or the other. 
but both. And he calls us to walk in grace and in truth. But you know it's easier not to. And is better, but or is easier. And is better, but or is so much easier. Because there's no tension with or. If I just swing to one side and I'm like, this is right and I'm right, or this side's right and I'm right, and I don't have to worry about the other side, it's, it's like a tightrope, a tug of war rope is across the stage and you have, you have truth and you have grace and they're pulling, but if you just drop one side, the tension's gone. If I don't have to worry about being gracious or if I don't have to worry about being truthful, there's no more tension. And is better, but or is easier. And is harder. But Jesus would not let himself be pushed into an either-or situation. He was grace and truth. Let me give you one other place when they tried to trap Jesus into an either-or situation. This one I would call the trap between compassion and holiness. Sometimes people feel you can either be compassionate to the poor, you can work for justice, you can work for mercy, or you can be holy and love God and, and you, can, you can be working for the war, but you can't do both. And that's what the religious leaders in Jesus' day sometimes thought because in Mark chapter 3, this is what it says. Another time he went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus because he had healed someone. They were plotting about how they might kill him. But it wasn't about just healing. It was because they heal, he healed on the Sabbath because they wanted him to be either or. Either he is going to let this man stay there with a crippled hand and not be healed and so he won't be the compassionate person that people think he is. Or he is going to heal and he's going to violate the Sabbath law and he won't be the holy person that they think he is. He is going to be one or the other. But Jesus wouldn't fall into their trap. So he asks him a question. Which is better? To do good or evil? Their response is so interesting to me. They're silent. But Jesus' response is even more interesting He's angry. Usually the only times you think about Jesus angry, you think about him in the temple, tipping over the tables. But this passage says Jesus was angry that they did not answer. He was angry that they were so stubborn that they wouldn't even admit the answer they knew because they knew the answer. The answer was, if you can do good for someone and you withhold it from them, you're sinning. So if you can do good, if you can heal someone, even on the Sabbath, you ought to do it. Otherwise, you're sinning. They knew the answer, but they were so stubborn they wouldn't say it. And Jesus got angry, and so he healed. I love it when Jesus gets angry, he heals. What do you do when you're angry? When Jesus is angry, he heals someone. And, and so he healed this guy's hand because he was angry at the stubbornness of their hearts. So I'll show you. You know the answer. And so he does it. 
but he wouldn't get stuck in either or. It wasn't either compassion or holiness and worship. It was both. It was the right thing to do is to heal on the Sabbath. Sometimes you might feel pulled in one direction or the other. That either you can be holy and worship God, or you can be compassionate and love people, but you have to choose one or the other. That you can work for justice in this world and, and, and help those that are abused and hurt, or you can love God and preach the gospel and be an evangelist and, and preach and tell people about Jesus, but you can't do both. And sometimes we might feel pulled that there's this false dichotomy that exists that we somehow can't do both. But Jesus found a way to do both. Jesus found a way to do both. And God calls us to do both. In fact, in James chapter 1, verse 27, it says this when it defines religion. James says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, compassion, love, justice, care, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Holiness, worshiping God, purity. James says, you got to do both. You can't do one or the other. We have to do both. And so that's what we're talking about in this Remedy series. Because I don't know if you've felt this in your heart, the tension that I feel in my heart. Because on one side, my heart says, Jesus is the only answer. Jesus is your only hope. If you are, if you are hurting and you are dying, if you are, if you are emotionally abused, if you are stuck in a life of sin, if you are stuck in a, a place, Jesus is your only hope to change and transform your life. If you are stuck in an addiction or a bondage or something, Jesus is your only hope. On one side, I said, that's the only remedy. Jesus alone is the remedy. I have nothing I can give you except to let you know that Jesus is your only hope. But then there's this other side that says I'm supposed to visit the widows and the orphans. There's this other side where Jesus said to to the sheep and the goats, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was in prison and you didn't visit me. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. And the goats and those on his left say, when? We would never neglect you, Jesus. When? When did we see you hungry and thirsty? Jesus says, whenever you did it to the least of these, whoever the least is, whoever the most needy is, whoever the least of the least of the least, whenever you did it to them, you did it to me. And there's this other side that says, Jesus is the only remedy, but somehow he calls me to be a part and partner with him in being the remedy. And so there's this tension I feel that would say, or is easier, or is easier, but and is better. I can stand up and only preach about Jesus and say, go, you know, you know spend all my, my time, my efforts, everything I have just to preach about Jesus and never help someone in need and then find myself on that day. Jesus saying, why, why didn't you feed me? One of the scariest verses in the Bible is Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus says, there'll be people that'll come up and say, didn't we prophesy in your name? 
Didn't we do miracles in your name? Didn't we do healings in your name? Jesus said, I'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. Wait a second. We did all our religious work. We did all this stuff. Didn't we preach in your name? Didn't we do all this stuff? I mean, it's in your name. Didn't we do all this stuff? Didn't we do all these religious things for you? Jesus said, I never even knew you. So there's these two things that or is easier, but and is better. I can pick one side or the other, but I'm not going to be following Christ if I can't find a way to do both. And you know where you're at. And I just ask you just to examine your heart. Is there a place in your heart where you say, you know what? I'm real heavy on this side. I'm real heavy on the compassion side. I love people. I've been very compassionate. I do all that stuff. But it's been a while since I've talked to them about their need for Jesus and let them know that Jesus is the ultimate remedy. Or maybe you say, you know what? I'm always preaching about Jesus. I'm always, every Facebook post, every tweet, everything's got Jesus and a Bible verse and everything in it. And I'm always telling people about Jesus. But it's been a while since I've just offered food to the hungry or clothed the naked or given a drink or just helped someone in need. Or is easier, but and is better. So we've been these last few weeks, I've tried to introduce you to some people that are trying to do, be the remedy, do that stuff that God has called them to do. And so a few weeks ago, we met Joyce Holt, who works with Hagar's sisters, trying to be the remedy to women caught in abusive situations and abusive marriages and relationships. And it was great to meet Joyce. Last week, if you weren't here, and I know many of you weren't able to make it because of the snow, um, but um, uh, David Weir shared and Mike and Ashley King shared about adoption and foster care, international and domestic adoption and fostering children and the need. And that verse right there said it. Um, caring for the widows and the orphans. And, and that's something God calls us to. And so if you didn't hear that message last week, please uh, go listen to the podcast and, and hear what uh, David and the, and the Kings had to say about that. This week, I want to introduce you to someone who's fairly new to our family here at Mount Hope. Uh, she's been coming less than a year. Uh, but as I've gotten a chance to know her, um, she told me about something that she does every Christmas that I just thought was really Um, unique and a really neat ministry that God kind of birthed within her uh, and just has used her to be a great blessing to others. Some of you have seen her out at the Fresh Start table. Uh, Her name's Paula Mason, and she's coming this morning to tell us about uh, something God has done through her at Christmas time. Would you welcome Paula? Uh, Paula, you've been coming less than a year to Mount Hope, um, and we got a chance to uh, talk a little bit about some of the things God has used you to do. And I know it's not just this, uh, what you do at Christmas time. There are other things that God has used you to do to help people. But this one, uh, a lot of people do wish trees this time of the year. A lot of churches do. Um, but it's not often I hear about one that gets out of the church and into the workplace. And God called you first to do something in a church but then to bring it to your workplace. And that was a step of faith, but God has used that mightily to bring compassion. So would you share a little bit about the giving tree that God has uh, kind of birthed through you and, and used? Um, about 25 years ago, I was a single mom of five, including a newborn. And um, 
I really was poor. And um, I got a knock on my door Christmas Eve from a, a Catholic church in Billerica Center that I didn't attend with bags and bags and bags of gifts. It, it was like they knew each one of my children and me. They gave me practical things like toilet paper and paper towels and a snow shovel and stuff that was like a million dollars to me. And, you know, the, the Romans 8.28 verse that I, I just love, it says, and we know, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. And that was a very dark time in my life, but I asked God, I said, can you just help me turn my life situation to bring honor and glory to you somehow? I, I don't even know how. And I, I could list many ways that I have been able to help people without spending a penny. And I do believe it's because I asked them, and he led me there. So the, the very first year after that, the following Christmas, I helped at a, a large church um, in this area, um, actually delivering gifts um, to people, which is a lot of fun. You get all kinds of reactions. Give me the gift. Don't talk to me. Or come on in and spend the night. And... Um, <laughs> It, it was just, and I was shy, I mean, painfully shy, so God really took me out of that comfort zone. Um, then I got a job in a church, uh, and I worked there for 10 years, and I did the giving tree on my own there, uh, mostly for families, or if you knew of a family, you'd tell me. And um, then my job became part-time, and I had to find another one, and that's another situation where you know, my first reaction as I prayed that morning was, come your kingdom, be done your will in my life. I'm like, okay, this is your will, but whatever. You know, you don't even know what that means. And I got a job at MIT Lincoln Laboratory in Lexington, which has 3,000 people in it. And I asked them if I could put up a giving tree just in my group of 80 people. And their first reaction was, oh, oh no. Um, we think you should do that for the whole entire laboratory. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So I put two trees up, one in the atrium, one in the cafeteria, and I put tags on with, I code them, I don't put people's names on, and then I bring them home and re-tag and put their names and get them delivered or whatever. But I work with a woman um, with an organization called Somebody Cares. I've done gifts with veterans, elderly, um, just hurting people. And um, I told a story uh, in the first service about I went to a Bible study Thursday night at this woman's house and there was a woman there who had no boots and we, somebody donated a brand new pair of Uggs and they're ugly, I have them I think that's what Uggs mean and, but th these were the <laughs> these were cute and um, this lady had the foot this big and they fit her perfectly and she, th this woman that I work with really goes out and brings the homeless into her home she's just uh, an incredible woman that I admire and uh, so that was my one of my highlights um, the other one I forgot to mention this morning was what my friend that I work with said on her Facebook page, there was a homeless man well, not homeless but practically that she just met in the supermarket or somewhere. I mean, this is what she does. She, they, God brings them. I don't know if she finds them or how it works. But she wrote this. I saw it this morning. Merry Christmas. I had a great night with good friends, good food, and then dot, dot, dot. I got to bless a single man raising his daughter with Christmas. Best part of my Christmas so far. So I, I just want to encourage you that if... 
there's many things we can do that don't cost us anything. It might cost us time and maybe sacrifice there, but um, the giving tree is near and dear, as you can tell. I feel like I bought every gift, and it was from me, I, and I, I don't spend a penny. Um, but I have done prom dress drives, toiletry drives. I've done a meal once a month for people dying of AIDS. I just organized the meal. I didn't even have to buy the food and cook it. So, you know, seek and you'll find, and God will definitely, if you're looking for ministry, it could be anything, you know. Paul, you had a couple uh, requests that came in this year that were pretty big requests, and and you weren't sure how to handle them, so you prayed about it. And tell us a little bit what happened with with those couple requests. Yes, some some people just don't get poor, and and I get it. you know, it's hard to understand it unless you've been there. And I've heard people standing at the tree mumbling about what the tags say. And I, and I really wish they'd call and ask me. But somebody wanted oil, heat, you know, oil put in their, their, um, their tank. Last year, she, I, apparently, I don't have oil heat. I have a wood stove. But last year, you could, she would get $5 of diesel fuel at the gas station and put it in her tank just so that her family could take a shower. And so this year I thought, well, maybe I can get oil. <laughs> so I put some tags on the tree, but I sent out an email to everybody saying, if, if you could all contribute even a little bit. And I got $318 for her to put in her tank. And another family wanted a DS, uh, that handheld thing. My youngest is 20, so I uh, thank you. I didn't have to live through them things. But... Um, I thought, oh, DS, but I can picture them saying, well, even my kids don't have one of these because, you know, it's just life. And um, this woman answered my email and said, I have been blessed this year, and I will buy it. I want to know their ages. I want to buy games appropriate for it. And um, I, I just love it. I'm exhausted because I got almost 250 gifts that I had to bring home, retag, sort out. Oh, I'm missing one. You know, there's a family with eight kids, and I'm missing one gift, you know. <laughs> but it all works. People donate stuff that's not even on the tree. So mm. it's, it's really a blessing, and I love it. Mm. And that's a blessing, I know, Paula, to the people who receive. But uh, the people who give are also, are also blessed, I'm sure, in ways that you've seen. Oh, them. yeah, some of them just, you know, somebody will ask for, you know, socks. I mean, it can be as simple as socks. And some of these gifts I can't even lift because not only don't they buy socks, they buy clothes and games and a gift card for gas. And it's, it's just incredible. They, I, people are kind. You know? Has They're anybody at your kind. work asked you why you do this? Um, they have, and I do tell them that, you know, God showed up for me and that, you know, I think people who don't know Jesus, a, a lot of them don't mind that pay it forward but especially Christmas I get to share a little bit deeper you know it's very hard because you have to be really kind of politically correct when you work for the government but um, my nativity sets out you know I don't care you know (laughs) so I tell them yeah you know I'm saved and this is why I do this and Jesus sacrificed I mean he, he sacrificed heaven for me so what's cotton gifts around you know Thank you. Thank you, Paula, for sharing this morning. Would you thank Paula? Let me tell you about a couple others uh, before I close. Um, uh, One, I I heard about a woman in the church who owns a business in in town. And um, 
She was doing a collection for the Thanksgiving, and she opened up her business to do a collection for the Thanksgiving meal that's served in the town for people uh, in need. And I saw the post on her Facebook, and she said she was collecting stuff, and I thought, oh, man, I want to try and get over and support her in that. But I wasn't able to get over the day that she was collecting, and I saw her in church the following Sunday. I said, well, how did, you know, how did the collection go? Did you get anything? Did anybody bring anything? And, uh, and she said, oh, yeah. She said they had to bring two trucks. He said people dropped off so much stuff at, at our place of business that they had to bring two trucks back just to take all the food that people had brought. Um, and, and just using our workplace to say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to do both. I'm going to worship Jesus, and I'm going to help people in need, and and is better. Let me tell you one more, and uh, this one I want to mention. He didn't want to come forward, uh, but he said I could mention it um, May have left already. Uh, but George Lavelli, who sits at our piano every, uh, every Sunday morning. George, uh, nine years ago, had an idea for a ministry. Um, his idea was, George was really into music, the piano, obviously. Many of you see him up here playing beautiful music, and, and, and you think all of George knows is church music. But George actually started playing instruments in nightclubs. And uh, he got saved later in life. He used to play nightclubs all the time and bands and jazz and all that stuff. And, and, and so that's what he used to do. And he used to play all the old songs. And he said, I'd like to go to nursing homes, especially people with Alzheimer's and are losing their memory, and, and start playing just some of the old songs for them. And he started a ministry called Try to Remember, just, just to go and bless these, these people who were there, many of whom no one goes to visit. And he would tell me stories that this one doesn't have anyone that comes. This one has family in the area, but they never come and see them. And, and so George would just go the last Sunday of every month for the last nine years. He's had some faithful volunteers that have gone with him. John has gone with him and, and Edgar and Gene Frazier and, and a number of other people in the church have gone. But George goes every, sun, every fourth Sunday of the month for nine years. And I said to him, I asked him this week, I said, George, how many did you miss? I mean, nine years, not many people are faithful to the same ministry. That's a long time. How many did you miss in nine years? He said, Pastor, honestly, I can only think of one. I, I, I missed one, and it was a hard one to miss. But a couple months ago, when we had the Family Life Center opening, it was on the fourth Sunday of a month. And he said, I really felt like I needed to be here. And so that's the only Sunday I can ever remember missing. And George, the reason, one of the other reasons I wanted to share this with you, it's because it is an and ministry. George is just going to be a blessing. He reads scripture, or other people read scripture, so he's doing that, but he's, he's just going to be a blessing. And he, he, many of you know George has some health struggles that he has, and so he told me uh, recently that, that he just can't continue to do it. Um, it's just the, the health, it's just, he tries, he wants to, the heart is willing, but the body is, is weak. So he told the nursing home that he's, he's going to have to stop. And they said, George, would you just come back and do your Christmas concert? Would you just come back and, and sing the Christmas songs for us? And so this Sunday, today, at 2 o'clock, he'll be at Lexington Healthcare Center doing his last uh, day of ministry there. Um, and so thank George if you happen to see him. And but it's just another example of someone who said they'll do and. They'll do and. Not just come and play on a Sunday morning for the church, but pack up your piano and drag it out of the car and carry that and the speaker and everything into the nursing home and set it all up and be a blessing to people 
who many others who should be caring about them have forgotten about them. And George just said, I'm going to do and. I'm not going to do or. I'm going to do and. Paula said, I'll, I'll come to church and I'll welcome new people here at the Fresh Start table, but I'm going to do a giving tree at work and be a blessing and show compassion. I'm going to do and. And I'm going to have a business in Burlington and come and be a part of a church, but if there's people in Burlington that need food, I can collect it for them. I'm going to do and. And there's other stories of those of you sitting in these chairs that we could have brought any number of people up to sit here. But this Christmas time, and not just this Christmas time, Let's be the church that does and. Let's be the church that doesn't fall into the either or trap. Let's be the church that does and. Because we serve the God that knows that and is better. The final passage I'll share with you this morning is, Adam already read it, it's from John chapter 1. John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only who is at the Father's side and who has made him known at this Christmas time, at the time we remember the incarnation, just remember he came as God and man. Many people, that's hard to understand. That's a mystery. We don't get it, but it's what the Bible says and it's true because and is better. Because if he had only come as a man, even if he had lived a perfect life, that he could only have atoned for his life alone. But if he had only come as God, then he could never understand us and he could never atone for humanity's sins. So he came as fully God and fully man, and I don't understand all of that, but I know that it's true, and I know that it says it in the Bible, and I know that that was God's plan, that he came as God and man, so that when you come to him at Christmas time, you come not as a baby in a manger, not as a dying man on a cross. You come as the God who came, come to the God who came and lived and died and rose again and is in heaven making intercession for you, who understands you because he was man and walked on this earth and who intercedes and can make a transformation in your life because he is God, because and is better. And so as we close the service out, if you're a Christian and you're here and you're a follower of Christ, then my question to you is where is your pendulum swinging? Are you swinging heavy on the, on the side of compassion and grace, but you've maybe failed to speak or give or even compromise the truth? Maybe there's someone you need to talk to about Jesus this Christmas, not just a baby in a manger, but the God who loves them and died for them. Does your pendulum swing heavy on the truth side? You're always preaching and teaching about Jesus, but you haven't showed a lot of compassion and people wonder whether you even care about them. Maybe you have to, this Christmas, show grace, show compassion and show love to somebody because you serve the God of grace and truth, compassion and holiness. 
If you're not a follower of Christ, then maybe this is the day for you to make that commitment. If you've never made that commitment to Jesus, uh, this morning I want to ask one particular question. If you've never made that commitment to Jesus, is it because you felt like when you became a Christian you had to be either or? Is it possibly because you felt like, look, I want to be compassionate and loving, but some of the Christians I've known have been truthful and judgmental, and so I don't know if I want to be a Christian. I just ask you this morning to consider Jesus who came in grace and truth. Consider Jesus who, yes, says go and sin no more. If you're living a life of sin, if you're living a life that is not pleasing to God, if you're living a life that you know is against God, then go and sin no more. It's truth. You've got to stop that. You've got to turn to God and live for Him. But I also present to you the Jesus that says, neither do I condemn you. Receive grace upon grace upon grace. Maybe you haven't come to Him because you feel like He could never love me. He could never love me. There was a woman on that day who thought she was going to be stoned. She experienced that grace of God and that truth in that moment. And maybe this morning, that's where you're at. And you turn your life over to Jesus today, the God of grace and truth. Would you bow your heads as we pray together and close out the service this morning? Lord, God, we come to you as the God of grace and truth. And Lord, we come to you as people in need of grace and truth. Lord, there are those of us in this room who have been followers of Christ, who at times have allowed the or to creep into our lives instead of the and. Lord, forgive us for the times where we have put an or when you meant to put an and. Lord, there are those of us, Lord, who know the truth and we've received it. But Lord, honestly, um, God, we've sometimes erred on one side or the other. So we need you to teach us this morning how to be people of grace and truth. And Lord, I ask that you'd help us to be people of compassion and holiness. But Lord, there's also those in this room this morning who have never experienced the grace of God, who have never yielded their life to you. For some reason, even though you've reached out to them, they've kept you at arm's length. And if that's you this morning, I just want to give you an opportunity to turn your life over to Jesus this Christmas. This year, that you would turn your life over, not to someone else's idea of who Jesus is, not to some Jesus that's in a picture, some Jesus that's been presented to you, but the Jesus who is grace and truth, the Jesus who is compassion and holiness, the Jesus who loves you and died so that you can be in relationship with God the Father, the Jesus who wants you to live for eternity in heaven with him and the Father that maybe this is the day you would turn your life over to him. I don't know what's kept you from doing it, but maybe this morning the Holy Spirit is speaking into your life and saying, today is the day. 
Today is the day. Today's the day that you would become a follower of Jesus. December 22nd, 2013. And if that's you, there are no magic words or magic phrases. It is simply in your heart and in your spirit, in your seat, right where you're at. Just saying, Jesus, I know that I have been a sinner. I know that I have lived for myself. But from now on, I want to live for you. I want you to be the Lord of my life. And I want to live for you from this day forward. And if that's you, I'm not going to ask you to get out of your seat or anything like that. But with everyone's heads bowed and eyes closed, I'd ask you just to lift your hand to heaven and your eyes to me so that I might just remember you in prayer and just pray for you as I close out in prayer in just a moment. Is there anyone here this morning that that's you? You just lift your hand and say, I want to give my heart to Jesus. I want to give my life to Jesus this morning. Thank you. Anyone else here this morning that you just say, I want to give my heart to Jesus. I want to give my life over to him. I want him to come in and change. Thank you. Anyone else this morning? We've got two people that have said that this morning. Is anyone else you say, I want to give my heart over to Jesus and I want to live for him. I want him to come and transform my life. I want to serve that God of grace and truth. Just wait. Thank you. Father, we come before you this morning and I want to lift up these two ladies who have raised their hand this morning. Lord, they've taken a big step, Lord, in calling on you. And Lord... I just ask that you would do what it says in your word that you would be, do, Lord, that you would draw close to the one who is drawing close to you. And as these ladies have raised their hand and in their hearts pray and say that they want to follow you and serve you and commit their life to you, Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit would come into their life, would draw close to them and would renew them, God. Father, it says, you said in your word that you would take the old heart out and create and put in a new heart. And so, Lord, I ask for these two ladies that you would begin that work of new creation in their life. That from this point forward, this Christmas 2013, they would know this is the moment that they began serving and knowing God, not just as a name, not just as something that's celebrated certain times of the year, but as a personal father who loves them. Lord, and I ask this in Jesus' name. And God, I ask for your church. As we close out this service and as we leave this place, would you help us to be an and church and not be forced to be an either or church that this world tries to make us? For your glory and in your name we ask it.